Last week, a woman told me a story about how several years ago she was not a Christian, but she was searching for Jesus. And one day she was out walking, reading a Christian book as, as part of her search, when a pit bull came up and chased her and bit her. And her arm was badly bleeding, so she tried to wave down some cars, but no one would stop. So she got out in the middle of the road, and she forced a car to stop. And she said to the couple inside, thank you for pulling over. I'm being stalked by a pit bull. Could you at least take me a couple of blocks to get out of his territory, and then I can run home from there? And her arm was bleeding. She said that even though her arm was bleeding. Well, the couple looked kind of angry at her, and the man said in a really grouchy voice, well, how far do you live? And she said, well, three miles. So they grudgingly let her get in the car, glared at her through the rearview mirror, drove her one block, and then told her to get out. And the man said in this very irritated voice, we'd drive you home, but we don't want to be late for church. <laughs> Ouch. Right? Like, oh, man, say you're an atheist and help us in reverse, okay? Well, she got home, and she was okay, but she threw the Christian book away, go figure, and did not think about Jesus for another five years until her husband started following Jesus and found a sense of peace that she wanted, and so now she's a Christian too. But you know what bothers me most about that couple's response? I can imagine myself doing something similar. I mean, not if I were just going to church, but if I were headed here to preach and I were late, the thought might at least cross my mind. Why? Because I am too busy. No time. Not enough time. And I'm betting that's true for a lot of us here. The truth is, many of us live lives without any margin at all. Our lives look something like this. <laughs> that is my sermon from last week. Without any spaces or margins. It's incomprehensible like that, isn't it? Some of you might have found it incomprehensible last week when I preached it, but <laughs> really bad that way. Right? That's our lives. No space for rest. No space to connect with God, family, and friends. No space to be God's agents of redemption in this world. No space even to drive someone home. We're in a sermon series called The Power Paradox. About, we're talking about how when we surrender everything to Jesus, when we surrender everything we have, we experience his power. And I believe the first thing we need to surrender is our time. Because just like the words on a page don't mean anything without the spaces in between, it's the same in our lives. They mean nothing without the space that we have between activities. I believe the number one impediment to people experiencing the full power of God, the number one impediment is time. Because our, between our jobs and the kids' activities and church activities and doctor's appointments, you name it, we're just too busy to rest, too busy to connect with God, family, and friends, and too busy to serve in Jesus' name. When Christine and I lived in California, we got a puppy that was part whippet. And this one day I came home right before some people were coming over for a Bible study. And I discovered that the dog had eaten an entire box of tea bags. <laughs> Caffeinated tea bags. Did I mention the dog was a puppy? Right. Whip it. No, in, no more energy was required. I opened the door. The dog was running up and down the hall barking at nothing. The whole Bible study it just kept twirling around and around and around in the middle of the living room. And it'd jump up and down on people and, you know, just try to... I mean, we actually had to cancel the Bible study because of this little whirling dervish dog. Do you feel like my dog? Right. Running around crazy busy all the time. And what do we get for that busyness? Stress, loneliness because we don't have time to make friends, and God feels distant because we're not connecting to him. Jesus dreams a bigger dream for us than that.
And if we will surrender our time to him, we will have three things. We'll have peace, we will have a life of adventure, and we will have joy. If we surrender our time to Jesus in two ways. And the first way to surrender our time is to rest. And this is the most counterculture thing we could do to actually obey the Sabbath. This is the most counterculture thing we could do in our society today. So I'm going to spend most of this sermon on this first point before I go on to the second point. Now some of you right now might be thinking, oh rest, it sounds so great, so wonderful, how cruel, how evil of you to mention it, Pastor. I can't possibly rest. I've got way too much to do. I'll rest when I die. Right? I mean, I've thought that. Anyway, I mean, I mean, I get that, right? I mean, we pastors are notorious workaholics because we're trying to prove to you that we don't work just one day a week, right? So we work all the time. Plus one person's spiritual needs are infinite. There are about 4,000 people that are a part of this congregation. So our job description as pastors is 4,000 times infinity. That's a lot of pressure. And all of us live in this hyperactive culture. We're affected by it. In some companies, if you're not working 80 hour weeks, you get no respect, no promotion, no raises. So we brag about how busy we are. If someone asks, how you doing? What's the most common response? I'm busy, right? I mean, and it's kind of odd given that the command to rest is number four on God's top 10 list, right? And we would never brag about breaking the other commandments. I mean, if someone asked you how you're doing, we'd never say, oh, just making some graven images, then I'm gonna lie to somebody. You know, we'd never say that. But we brag about being busy. But see how good our God is. He actually commands us to rest because he wants us to have joy and peace and great relationships with him and other people and not be stressed out all the time. And I know it's hard to do given the demands of our lives, but you know, it couldn't have been any easier for the Israelites to obey this command. In an agrarian economy, can you imagine how hard it would be to take a day off during harvest time when every day counts? But when we surrender our time to Jesus and rest, we see God's power in two ways. The first is we see his power to provide for us. You know, one of the reasons that we're so busy all of the time is we're afraid that if we rest, everything's going to fall apart. You know, the, the boss won't be happy or the project won't get done or whatever it is, or we'll look weak or lazy. But the question Sabbath asks is, do you trust? Do you trust that God will get you where he wants you to be through his power, not yours? Do you trust that if you take time to rest and build relationships with God and people, that one of two things will happen? Either God will see to it that the project gets done or you please the boss or whatever, or if those things don't happen, we can assume that pleasing the boss or the project or whatever was never necessary for getting us where God wants us to be in the first place. It is about trust. Do we trust that God is sufficient? Now, I admit there may be seasons when we have to work uh, a long hours or work a lot, but those seasons should be rare and short. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't work hard. We should work hard. God says, six days shall you work. Work is good, but not at the risk of marriages collapsing and kids who don't feel loved by their parents and the, you know, the, the fact that we get fewer and fewer friends and our souls get small and self-centered and we don't even notice because we're not connected to God. Taking a day of rest means we do our best and then we trust God with the rest. Second way we experience God's power when we rest is he delivers us from the bondage of having to prove ourselves. One of the reasons I overwork is because I'm trying to make you like me. I'm trying to show that I'm valuable. I'm trying to look perfect. 
But when we surrender our time to Jesus and rest, we are trusting him when he says, you don't have to be perfect, I did that for you. And when we rest, we live out the truth that we're valuable because Jesus died for us, not because we work a lot. I told this story before, but I'm going to remind you of it because it's a story I remind myself of whenever I'm tempted to overwork. A friend of mine at Princeton was studying for her Ph.D. defense. And normally that's the kind of thing you would work on 24-7-52. But she, she, had a, she had, was married and she had kids, so she decided she was going to study 40 hours a week, that's it, and then take a day of rest to worship God, to be with family and friends, and to serve in Jesus' name. Everyone said, you're crazy. You're never going to pass this deal if you do that. Well, on the day of her exam, she bombed, did a terrible job. It was an absolute disaster. Committee asked her to step outside the room while they decided whether or not they're going to pass her. She waited for an hour, which is a really long time. Finally, her advisor came out and said, that was awful. You did a terrible job. You barely passed. And you know what we call people around here who barely pass their Ph.D. defense, don't you? She said, what? Doctor. <laughs> Congratulations, doctor. She took time to rest, and God got her where she needed to be. And in the meantime, she didn't get burned out. She enjoyed her friends and her family, got closer to God, had way more joy. And she experienced that her value wasn't in her achievements, but in the fact that the God of the universe loved her. Who cares what some prof thinks? So how can you put Sabbath rest into your life? I mean, it starts by taking a full day off to connect with God, family, and friends. And I think that means more than just plopping down on the couch with the remote in your hand saying, I'm keeping the Sabbath holy. Right? <laughs> Did I hit a nerve? <laughs> Sabbath was meant to restore us by connecting us to things that are eternal, and that's God and other people. Now, we don't have to get all legalistic about this. You know, what counts as rest, what doesn't. You know, that was the problem with the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They had all these stupid rules, like you can't wash your dentures on the Sabbath because that's work. You know, no, 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 no. We don't need to do that. For me, it's things like recreation, running that connects me to nature, that helps me to connect to God, prayer, worship, being with friends and family, serving in ways that give me joy. It's all Sabbath because it connects me to the eternal. And it doesn't have to be on Sunday. My day off is Friday. And it's also, I think, not meant to be just a once-a-week deal. I think that's the letter of the law, but not the spirit. I think we need many Sabbaths every day. Time to connect with family and friends. Time every day to connect with God through prayer and Scripture and hearing what he's saying to us. And I'm going to talk a little bit more in a couple weeks about how we can do that. So here's your challenge. Go home today and cut something out of your schedule. What activities and relationships do you want to invest in and which ones don't you because you can't do them all? Maybe it's a church activity that you need to cut. Your worship, community, and service are all ways, necessary ways to experience joy, but maybe you're doing too much of that. So cut out a church thing if that's the case. Another way you can do Sabbath is to limit your kids' activities. In our house, we limit our kids to one activity a quarter. You know why? Because when I taught at Stanford, I saw a lot of kids who'd been packing their resume with dozens of activities a year so that they could get into Stanford. And you know what happened? They turned out to be miserable, stressed out people because no one ever taught them how to make a choice between two good things. Don't do that to your kids. Cut something out. You know, I, I get, you know, I'm a performance-driven workaholic, and I know how hard this can be. And I do not do this perfectly. I just confess that. But I'm happy to say I have been getting better about this over the years. At least my wife says so, and she's the, she's the litmus test. 
And I can say that when we surrender our time to Jesus and rest, we discover that God is real because he provides for us and we have more peace and more joy. The first way to surrender our time to Jesus is to rest. But there's also one other way that we can surrender our time to Jesus, and that is to give Jesus every minute of every day. Colossians says, whatever you do, do it as for the Lord. In other words, surrender your time to Jesus means continually praying, Jesus, what are you doing in this moment, this moment in time? What are you doing? Help me be a part of it. When you go to work, your school, your neighborhood, Jesus is there, and he has an agenda for that place. He wants to bind up what's broken, heal what's hurting. He wants to restore what's been torn apart. And he wants you to be his partner in his rescue operation to this planet right there in that place in that moment of time. And you see, that's the deeper meaning of Sabbath. Sabbath is more than just taking a day off. Sabbath is about restoration, about recreation, about returning people in this world to their original design. That's why Jesus healed on the Sabbath. You know, the religious leaders punished him for that because it was against their traditions. But by healing on the Sabbath, Jesus was saying Sabbath is about ultimate wholeness. It's about recreation. It's about making all things new. And to surrender our time to Jesus means that in every moment of every day, we are praying, Lord, how do you want me to join you in this moment of time in making all things new? Right here, right now. And if we do that, then all of life becomes an adventure. Because wherever we go, God has some rescuing he wants to do in that place, in that moment of time, and we get to be a part of it. This summer, we visited my in-laws in California, and my brother and sister-in-law were also there with their three kids. And one day, it was just blistering hot, so we decided to take all six kids to the swimming pool. And my six-year-old son wanted to go, but he's a little shy around his cousins, so he, he refused somewhat belligerently to get ready. He's a great kid, but my wife said he got two of our worst traits. I'm shy, and by her own admission, she's kind of overly aggressive, so he's aggressively shy. <laughs> it's a weird combo. So my wife kept trying to reason with him, but I could tell she was about to blow, so I said, tag, I'm it. And she and everyone else went to the pool. It was really hot, and I really wanted to go swimming. Plus, we had all these other activities we were going to do that day, so I was in a big hurry. So I said to my son, do you want to go swimming? And he said, yes. And I said, well, then let's go. And he said, no, I don't want to go swimming. And I said, do you want to stay here? And he said, no, I want to go swimming. And I said, well, then let's go. And he said, no, I don't want to go swimming. Crazy making, right? And then he yelled at me, you're the worst parent ever. Wow. Wow. Quite an achievement, don't you think? I mean, Genghis Khan, Mommy Dearest, I beat all of them. Right? And then he yelled, bad daddy, I hate you. So then I started to yell back loudly. And then he started to cry. And I yelled again, get in that car right now or I'm going to give you something to cry about. A phrase I hated when I was growing up. Swore I would never use, but there I was, suddenly channeling my parents, and out it came. <laughs> and then his face fell, and he said, that hurt my feelings. <laughs> so I went outside for a while to calm down. I said, okay, Jesus, help. What do you want to do in this moment? What is your agenda for my son in this moment of time? What do you want to do? Lord, use me to get it done. And I kind of felt the anger just disappear. So I went back in the house and I said, hey, buddy, I, I should not have yelled at you like that. And he said, no, you shouldn't have. <laughs> I thought, okay, well, we'll work on how to accept an apology later on. <laughs> and I said, what are you afraid of? 
And he said, I don't want people to look at me. So I said, you know what? I'm shy too. And one of the things I've learned is sometimes you just have to do it. You just have to join in with other people and pretty soon you're not shy anymore and you start to have fun. Do you think you can do that? And he said, yeah. So we headed out for the pool and as we're getting in the car, he looked up at me and he said, Daddy, teach me not to be shy anymore. So we went to the pool and at first he didn't join his cousins. So I played with him near his cousins in the cousin vicinity and and sort of started to inch my way over, inch by inch, closer to the cousins, until finally he kind of jumped over and started playing with them, and he had a blast. So afterwards I said to him, what'd you learn today? And he said, if I just do it, I'll have fun. And here's what I learned that day. That my busyness was wrecking my son. But that if I surrendered my time to Jesus created just a mini Sabbath in that moment, mini Sabbath to connect to God and hear from him, and then surrendered my time by saying, Lord, how do you want to use me in this moment right here, right now? Show me. I felt peace, and I got to partner with God in helping my son become everything he was created to be. And that gave me joy. I actually felt like a good dad that day. I was in a hurry. I had my agenda. We were on vacation, and we were going to have fun no matter how much everybody hated it. But when I surrendered my time to Jesus, I experienced the power paradox. So this week, how can you surrender your time to Jesus? I know it's hard, but in the words of my son, if we just do it, we'll have fun. I mean, you could start by taking the rest of today off to recreate and restore your soul. Go home, don't do any work, leave the dishes in the sink. Right? That is the best news you're gonna hear all day. Can't do the dishes, pastor said so. Right? <laughs> And then tomorrow, Monday, September 15th, start a new pattern of spending a little bit of time with God on a daily basis in prayer and scripture and connecting with family and friends. And then tomorrow, in your office or your school or your neighborhood throughout the day, pray this prayer. Jesus, how do you want to use me in this moment to rescue, in your rescue operation? Show me. You know, when it comes to surrendering our time, I, I think we're like my son. We want it, but we don't want it. You know, he wanted to swim, but he didn't want to swim. It's the same with us. We want it, but we don't want it, the surrender. But as we cooperate with Jesus, he will inch us closer and closer to full surrender, and we will experience his power, his peace, and his joy. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. Give me your life. Give me your yoke. Give me your time. And I will give you an adventure as you partner with me in making all things new. And I will also give you rest. Rest unto your souls.